0: Well, good morning, Freedom Family. It is so good to be with you wherever you're joining us from, whether you're in the house today or whether you're at home. Uh, It's so good uh, to be with you guys. So a little while ago, I was reading uh, The Creative Minority by John Tyson and Heather Grizzle, and I came across a story of a man named Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf and the Moravians. (laughs) Yes, that is a mouthful. So if you're looking for baby names, if you're... uh, (laughs) There you go. Right there. (laughs) So Zinzendorf came from a noble family in the early 18th century in Lower Austria. So it's royal. Just going to put that out there as well. If you're using that, it is royal. So he was set to inherit title, land, and money, and could have simply coasted through life as one of the elites. However, he had a life-altering experience with Jesus, and he dreamed of becoming a pastor. To take on such a role would be too much of a class demotion, so his family strongly discouraged him from the pursuit. It's kind of rude. To be honest, (laughs) despite still having a passion for preaching the gospel, he relented to his family's request and took a position as a counselor to the king of Saxony at Dresden. At that time, due to the fallout from the Protestant Reformation, there was actually persecution from the Catholic Church of some sects of Christianity, including Mennonites and Anabaptists. After inheriting some of his grandmother's land in Saxony, Count Zinzendorf offered asylum to a number of persecuted German-speaking Christians from Moravia and Bohemia beginning in 1722. They built the village of Hernut on the corner of his estate, which became a refuge for three to 400 people seeking religious freedom. At first, this was a complete disaster as each subgroup, you know, they had different practices of the faith that produced considerable tension. Count Zinzendorf decided to take leave from his position as the counselor to deal with the tension, and he began to visit every single home, and he prayed with them, and he pleaded with them for unity around the most essential tenets of the faith. In response, the men of Hernet started gathering for intense scripture study and prayer. Through these disciplines, they recognized that their strife was not what God was calling them to, and they drafted what was called the Brotherly Union and Compact, a voluntary code to which they would all adhere to. Forged in this new sense of unity, Zinzendorf began to hold daily meetings for prayer and Bible study, and the entire community was invited to take communion together on August 13th, 1727. On that day, they experienced what is called the Moravian Pentecost, The Spirit of God came down, and for more than 10 hours, they repented, they wept, they laughed, and they celebrated the presence of God. God honored their covenantal commitment to one another with an outpouring of His Spirit and the igniting of a revival. They recognized that the revival of God was bringing to their community, or what God was bringing to their community, was not for them to hoard, but rather to lead to renewal for others. Just as the light in the Jewish temple was never extinguished, they arranged a system of hourly intercession so that someone was always praying in her nut. That prayer meeting lasted more than 100 years. The fervency in prayer birthed a passion and vision for world missions, which has been unsurpassed to this day. The Moravians did more than all the missionaries since the book of Acts up until that time. After Count Zinzendorf heard a story about a slave converting to the Christian faith, they realized that some of the most neglected places were the slave islands in the British Empire, and they committed to missions to those places. In one particularly remarkable incident, two Moravians sold themselves into slavery and went to the Caribbean to witness to other slaves who had no other access to the gospel. They went to the island and soon thousands were converted, as was the case in many other places around the globe. What an absolutely incredible testimony to the faith that came from people who so desperately cried out for God and his spirit. The results and the spread of the gospel was unmatched up to that time in history. Something like that, it never happens on a whim. It comes with trust, an incredible, dedicated, and even radical trust in God and his leading. It's the kind of trust and faith that inspires and is reminiscent of another man mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, also known by some as the Hall of Faith. So, if you've got your Bible with you, you can turn over uh, in the Bible app or you can turn over in your physical Bible if you have one with you today uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, and then verse 7. It says this Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah was a man of remarkable faith. Not only that, but a faith whose trust persevered despite being an outlier in an entire world of corrupt and wicked people. We're going to dive into that story. And so if you'll keep your Bibles open, but just turn to the front there to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 to 22. So let's read that together. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything that God commanded him. Immediately, we see that Noah was described as a righteous man, one who walked closely with God. In the next few verses, we see how God saw that the world was totally corrupt and full of violence. So much so, in fact, that God was going to bring judgment in the form of a flood. But God recognizes Noah's faithfulness, and not only spares him, but commands him to build an ark. What's remarkable to me is how Noah responds. There was no questioning No doubting of why it was happening, no attempt to turn to his own plans, but rather in an act of trust and incredible obedience to God, Scripture says that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. A short, simple line, but one that packs an incredible amount of faith and what got him into the hall of faith here. You see, he wasn't just building a canoe. You know, he was building a ship that could fit two of every single animal. A massive undertaking. Not only that, but Noah and his family were the only ones who were being spared as the rest of the world was watching on, thinking likely out loud that they were insane. And I want you to think for a second about that. Place yourself in your workspace, your neighborhoods, your schools, wherever you spend a lot of your time. Now imagine for a second that you are the only believer there. Not only that, but others are actively hostile towards you. And now God is asking, to do, asking you to do something that is so outwardly outrageous to those around you and you don't fully know how it, will end, how it will end. But you know God is speaking to you. Would you do it? Would you trust that God knows what he's doing and that he'll empower you to carry it out? That takes another level of trust and faith in him. But on an incredibly grand scale, that's what Noah did here. He heard the voice of God, which he easily recognized. Why? Because he had been walking with him consistently throughout his life, and he trusted him. Now, God probably isn't calling you to build an ark, but maybe he's calling you to pick up a hammer and some nails and start piece by piece by piece. Noah didn't just wake up one day out of nowhere ready to build the ark. You know, scripture says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Character and faithfulness like that, those things just aren't naturally given. Faith like that is something that takes time, effort, hard work, and devotion to God. It's developed over time and is something that needs to be consistently maintained. Before he calls you to do the big things, are you trusting him with the smaller things in your life? Are you trusting that you'll be able to make it through the day with a little less sleep if you set that alarm a little bit earlier so that you can do your devos before heading to work or school? Are you trusting him financially and giving generously and cheerfully with your ties into those in need? Are you trusting him to give you wisdom in how to handle those issues with those closest to you? Are you trusting him to give you the strength and the patience to respond in kindness and love to those who anger you the most? Are you trusting him with, well, you can insert your own thing in there. In order to have faith to build the ark, you have to be able to pick up the hammer and the nails to begin piece by piece by piece. It starts with the little things. We're going to turn back to uh, Genesis, and we're going to continue that story in Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, 15 to 17, and 23 to 24. It says this The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family. Because I have found you righteous in this generation, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days the flood waters came on the earth. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Genesis 8.1 But God remembered Noah And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. By the time the waters had receded and they found dry land, it had actually been over a year since the flood had started. I'm sure in that year, Noah may have wondered when the end of all of that was going to come. I'm sure he probably got tired of taking care of all of those animals every now and then and being trapped inside of that boat. Weirdly enough, I'm sure a lot of us can kind of relate to that right now. (laughs) You know, over this past year, you know, we've kind of been stuck inside a little bit. You know, we haven't really been able to go out. And, uh, you know, lockdown after lockdown and how most recently with KW getting extended, you know, in our uh, stage one. And for some of us, it's a little frustrating. For most of us, it's probably frustrating. (laughs) But here's the thing. In those seasons where we're kind of giving up control or forced to give up a little bit of our control and we really don't know when it's going to come to an end and we don't really you know, see you know, how it's all going to work out and we don't know what's coming next all the time, how are we trusting in God in those seasons? In those seasons of waiting, in those seasons of I don't know what's happening next, are we turning to God? Are we trusting in him? Are we still taking joy in the person who created us, the God who created this entire universe and created each of you? Are we trusting in him that he still has control? Because even when we don't have control and we don't need to have control all the time, God does and we can put our trust in him and that's faith because we don't know what's happening next but we know that we serve a God who does. We serve a God who is there in the midst of it, a God who has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to give us his peace, to give us the comfort, to give us the guidance through situations like this where it sucks, (laughs) where it is frustrating, but yet we can still take joy and we can still have hope and we can still have peace in the midst of chaos because we have trust and we have faith in our God. You know, interestingly enough, the flood actually foreshadows things to come, as told in the New Testament by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5-9, to where it says, But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, with the flood, there was judgment and there was wickedness and there was corruption. And there was all of this stuff going on. And God essentially started from the beginning with Noah and his family because they were righteous and he saw them and he recognized that. But fast forward to present day, fast forward to the New Testament and we have a greater hope because Jesus came. He sent his one and only son to come down and be the sacrifice for our sins and we have freedom and we can freely choose that and is available to you if you've never made that decision that is freely available to you that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again three days later defeating the power of sin and death and we are able to overcome that now because we have Jesus and because we have that greater hope. And so as we look back to the flood and we look to now, we can have hope and we can have trust in God because we have that greater hope and we can put our trust in him because that is someone who never fails. That is someone who never changes. That is someone who is always there, who is always constant day in and day out. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, when it comes to trust and when it comes to trust in God in difficult circumstances, I can't help but think of these pastors that I met a couple of years ago. I was teaching in an area where persecution was especially pre- prevalent, you know, in that region. And uh, after, you know, I was done teaching in the morning, I went out and we had lunch together. And there was a group of them. there's probably about uh, seven or eight of them there. And we were all just talking, you know, about life and, you know, ministry and faith. And, you know, as we were sitting down, we were hearing each of their stories. And many Of these guys, they had come from families who weren't Christian. And, well, when they leave their faith, that means leaving everything that they know. And they were persecuted by their own families. You know, one I remember even told me that his own family, uh, one of his own family members even held a sword up to his throat. And yet, he trusted that God would provide for him. He trusted that God would be there for him. He trusted that Jesus was there in the midst of that, that the Holy Spirit would guide him through and that despite everything that he was giving up, it was way more worth it to follow after Jesus. And he continues to pray and he continues to hope that one day his family would follow after Jesus too. And he's faithfully serving in ministry. He's faithfully serving despite the threats of persecution, despite, you know, the ostracization from his family. That is trust. That is trust when you were giving up so much and you don't know what's happening next. You really can't see the future. That is trust. And they had so much faith. And honestly, it inspires me. Because it forces me to ask myself the question, if I was forced to give up everything, would I do it? Would I give it all up and trust that God still had a plan for my life, that he would still provide, that he was still Jehovah-Jireh in the midst of my circumstance? Would I still follow after him? Would I still put my trust in him? I hope the answer would be yes. I really do. And I fully believe that. So what is it for you? What is it for you in your life that you need to put over control of that up to God? What do you need to hand over to God in your circumstance, in your situation right now that you feel like you don't have the capacity to take on, that you just want to hold on so tightly to and you don't want to give up control? What is that? What do you need to surrender in this moment to have the faith to trust God in your situation, in your circumstances, no matter how hard that is for you? What is that for you? Will you do it? Are you willing? Do you trust in the God of the universe that created you for a specific purpose and a specific calling and the one who is Jehovah Jireh and will provide no matter the situation? Do you trust in him? I hope I do. And that's something that I want to reflect on in the coming days and months. Am I trusting in God even with the things that I don't want to let go of? Will I do it? So I'd encourage you to reflect on that. Reflect on what you're holding on to. Reflect on what you need to trust God with. Reflect on what you need to surrender up to Him. And reflect on those little things that you can start with every single day. Whether that's waking up a little bit early to do the devos, to spend time with Him, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in spiritual, um, in silence and solitude. You know, whatever that is, in fasting. Get close to God. Because when he calls on you, then you'll be prepared. And you'll be able to trust in him like that. Because you'll already be listening. You'll already be there. You'll already be in his presence. So may we do that together today. May we commit to that. May we commit to following after God with everything that we have. And may we surrender everything at his feet. And give up control of what we have and what we do and everything that we have in our lives to him let's pray lord thank you for this time together thank you that we are able to gather as a family of believers here i thank you that even in times when it is difficult even in times when it is hard and frustrating that we can still put our trust in you because we're still going to be okay because you have us because father even if everything else was taken away we would have you And that would be enough. Father, may we put our trust in you. May we put our hope in you. May we trust you with everything that we have. and May we let go of control of everything in our lives and give it up to you. Lord, we are so thankful for your presence in our lives. We are so thankful for you, that you are always there, that you're there to bring comfort, that you're there to bring peace, that you're there to be Jehovah Jireh in the midst of our situation. Thank you, God. We are so grateful for who you are. And Father, give us greater boldness to follow after you. Give us greater boldness that when you come calling and you ask us to go out and do something, that we would trust you, we would have the faith to trust in you and your greater works. Father, may we give up control of everything that we have. Father, may the words that we speak be from you and not ourselves. May the actions that we take be led distinctly by you. May we have the discernment to know when it's from you and when it's not from you. Father, may our lives be reflective of your son and how he lives his life here on this earth and your word and your truth. Father, we thank you so much. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor, amen.